You've spent years putting time and effort into growing your business, and now you start to consider what next? How does the board impact this decision? And what role do they have in determining the next steps for you and your organization? In this episode of Privately Speaking, you'll hear host and KPMG audit partner Erica Whitmore talk with Lou Miramontes, board member at Opportune, to discuss the board's role in more detail. Okay, well, I'm very excited about our guest today, um, who I think um, is very esteemed and experienced on the topic of of boards and as it relates to exit strategies. So, um, Lou, I think you're going to do it best uh, because I will probably miss some of your background, but if you can just give us just a couple minutes on on your background, um, that would be great. Thank you. Pleasure to be uh, be here with you and uh, share some thoughts that uh, I will present. Um, I spent uh, majority of my professional career at uh, KPMG, started in the 70s and uh, retired there in uh, 2014. I served many clients over the years and had leadership roles. I uh, was able to work in our international practices, KPMG's international practices in, in Latin America, was the CEO of KPMG's Latin America business for uh, for five years during my tenure. I um, ended my tenure uh, being managing partner of our office in San Francisco, and then after that serving, serving clients during the, uh, the Great uh, Recession. So I've had an opportunity to serve both public and private clients, various industries, uh, domestic uh, and international and uh, enjoyed uh, all, all that. Since my retirement, I now am in three public company boards and a private company board. So using my skills that I acquired at KPMG uh, to really serve uh, corporations uh, from a board perspective, oversight, uh, advising, management, and interacting with investors. So uh, hopefully that experience will uh, provide you thoughts for today, and uh, we'll get on with it. Well, Lou, um, like I said, I'm very excited about this topic. It, when we were um, considering our next topic, this is just something that kept coming to me over the last several months. I mean, I think there's, you know, a lot of public and private companies that are doing all kinds of fun things, but I think there's a lot of private companies that are thinking about, you know, either now or in the future, you know, what is what is the plan, right? right? What is the exit, whether that's a true exit or it's a pivot, right? And so... We'll just we'll just jump right in. You know, what are some of the things that you see companies struggle with when it comes to thinking about an exit? Yeah, I think every organization has a goal of, of growth, of creating value for investors, stakeholders, including employees. So that that's a, a challenge and a, and a topic that all, all organizations have. And clearly at the board level, um, there's ongoing discussions between the board uh, and the CEO and senior levels of management. Uh, and key investors as to what what that looks like, uh, and it's not, not an easy uh, question to answer uh, because there are opportunities, but the opportunities dependent on um, the organization itself. Uh, you hear a lot of companies start off saying, "I want to be a public organization," or "I want to stay private," uh, but I think what they're really saying is, "I want to be able to monetize my organization, monetize my my assets," and uh, obviously, an IPO is one way of doing that. So if you think about an organization, you need to think about its mission, uh, where it plays in the marketplace, uh, what's the growth trajectory, um, and what's the profitability like, um, what's capital for uh, generation like, is the company 
generate capital soon or sometime in the future? Um, and and then, you know, what kind of uh, valuation is it creating? I think it's important to uh, keep tabs of the value of a company along the way so that you're ensuring that the uh, efforts, irrespective of the direction you go, uh, are, are degenerating the value desired. Um, and, I, and I think the organization needs to think about, you know, their preparedness. Do they have a management team? Do they have the sales team? Do they have internal infrastructure teams, technology, finance, legal, HR, and all those aspects, which are uh, very important today, indeed for a public company or to be public company, but also for a private company. The, the regulatory environment we work in is uh, more complex, uh, sometimes overly complex, but I just leave it as complex. And so I think organizations need to look at that. The other is, which is a big point here is, you know, what is what is the role of the CEO? Is the CEO prepared to lead the organization in the direction that everyone wants to go, to stay private, perhaps sell the organization to um, a larger, as a strategic tuck-in sale to some larger organization, like the biotech world has a lot today. Mm -hmm. uh, is it to stay private and have the employees uh, own it? So those, those are aspects that I think people need to to think about as they're looking at their exit. Um, you know, so thank you, Lou. I think that's that's a really good overview, you know, creating value for key stakeholders. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned that I think is a, a really important point and that our listeners really maybe like to hear just a little bit more on your perspective. You mentioned keeping track of the value of the company along the way. I think that's hugely important. I'm an, an accountant and auditor by trade, right? So part of me likes that because I'm a numbers person. But I also think that it can help drive that decision-making process, both for management and the board, right? So just just a little more on that perspective, you know, when do you start doing that? How do you do it, um, you know, without going too far down a rabbit hole because I do want to stay on track here. But I do think that's something people want to hear about. I think keeping track of value is, is important. Um, to understand um, how the efforts of the organization, the results of all the years of work, um, are, are indeed achieving the value desired. And I've seen scenarios where objections and valuations are extremely rosy, unattainable, and you set yourself up for failure. On the other hand, when you have uh, a range of values that indeed is indicative of the growth uh, of the company, in terms of revenue, in terms of profitability or cash flow, or other metrics that are key to deciding value. I think early on, perhaps internal resources could be used for that, but having third parties participate, mm -hmm. uh, bankers are good, valuation companies. You know, a lot of these organizations share stock with their employees, so there's a 409A analysis that's performed by a third party. I think it's a very valuable tool. It's a starting point. But what I've seen is that the 409A values uh, upon a public offering, uh, often are very different uh, and, and, and lower than uh, for our 90 value. So I think it's important to have that validation occur along the way so that people can make, make decisions along the way, i.e. bringing in new stockholders or investors, rather, or going to debt route. So I think it's a, it's a good measuring stick of... Uh, um, where the company is headed and the progress they've made relative to overall valuation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That, I think that perspective is really helpful. Um, 
in terms of just pivoting back to exit strategies and, you know, what companies should be thinking about, um, what, from your perspective, is the board's role in that, you know, discussion and, and that consideration? So I think a, a board member, in my case, um, you know, I find myself as a board member first being uh, oversight and uh, have the fiduciary role, but also an advisor to the CEO and advisor to management. And collectively, the board needs to think about the dual role uh, in this respect. You know, many boards have uh, representatives from investor groups on, on the board. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's good to, to help get their insight as to what they're looking for in this organization. Why did they invest and what are they looking for down the road? But I think that uh, that's kind of the first thing, make sure they're on the right path. Having that uh, interaction, that constant flow of, of data in, in meetings um, uh, is important because you get to assess the capability of the company, the capability of the CEO, the capability of the company as a whole to grow, to innovate, to pivot when you need to pivot. And, you know, our country is based on certain cycles. And so in a hot cycle, everybody looks good. And in a down cycle or a flat cycle, you know, what does an organization uh, do uh, to, to ride out those times or benefit from those times? Uh, the other is uh, what, understand competition uh, and, and where competition could come from, i.e. to take your market share or grow faster than you're growing or some other differenti- differentiator that you need to be, to be aware of uh, with respect to your long-term uh, exit plan. So exits... Um, you know, I, I'm on a board, and we had a, an IPO in 2019. And, uh, you know, I think the exit discussion started probably in, in 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a two-year two window where you're looking at what's the value today, what are the competitors doing, uh, is the market right? And what's interesting is that the, you may be ready as a company, but the market may not be ready. Right. And Previously, the market dips, and so you have evaluation. Your numbers are set. Your plan is set, and then the market's not there, and so you're not going to get the value that you want. So you pull the plug. That 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 could happen. Um, so I think an organization needs to have liquidity, at least to have a capital structure that allows you to maneuver uh, in those good times and challenging times. At the same time, focused on your long-term goal of increased value and monetization. You know, um, I, I reflect back on, you know, kind of the role of, of the board and, and what their responsibilities are um, in terms of acting in the best interest of shareholders, overseeing strategy and risk management, providing CEO oversight and succession planning, which you touched on a little bit, and then to the extent that it's necessary, depending on the board, remaining independent. But I think that, you know, something you just mentioned is, is really important and that's the flow of data and the continual evaluation of the CEO and the business model, right? And so right. in terms of just that flow of, of the data, is that something, you know, and I know all boards are different depending on their stage and, and their industry, but um, is that something you get quite frequently from, you know, outside of the regular meetings or does it depend? I think that um, it could be at every meeting or at least, or at least annually. Um, as a new board member, particularly an early stage company or a younger company, I always like to think you want to validate the business model. You know, what is the product? What is the service? What is the market opportunity? What is the addressable market? So you know that you have a market to sell into and grow with. And at um, 
rates or profitability that makes sense given the investment required. Uh, so that that is important. I think you know we talked about strategic planning or strategic outlook. Clearly, at least an annual level set is needed in terms of what should a company do in a one to three year window. Uh, take advantage of its position of opportunities. At the same time, which is really critical today, is to to stay close to and assess the, the technology uh, that's being used by the company. You know, we've seen a lot of organizations go from traditional storefront um, transactions to really online digital uh, strategies. And it's just enormous in the power of that today where you can buy and sell a home or a car or another product from your living room. And so organizations need to realize that the customers have changed. So having the technology and intellectual power within your innovation group to respond to that and, and thrive in that setting is critical. So back to your question as to uh, what board members should do with respect to the strategy. Clearly keep an eye on it. Uh, keep an eye on performance, uh, mid-course corrections or pivots. Uh, all those are part of the process of a board and I think that having a static strategy, a static operating plan is risky. And mm-hmm. so board members need to push management to reevaluate what else is there, what are other people doing. And I had a situation where we thought our organization was moving at an okay pace relative to growth and profit, but we wanted to know what competitors or near competitors were doing. And we learned that we were not in the game. And so we had management for over six months study what should be done next and they're now implementing a revised strategy we call a pivot to expand to a new market segment that could complement what was there but also take advantage of market opportunities so as a board member you're keeping an eye on you know the assets of the organization the operations but also keeping an eye on the future there's a core operations and also valuations and how you should leverage that as a private company to become public or uh, a sale or a partnering with a strategic investor. Sure. Yeah, just kind of keeping, keeping an eye on the macroeconomic conditions and, like you said, the industry and where it's turning and, and how quickly. You know, I think you, you mentioned technology, and I think you referred to innovation, and I think, you know, cybersecurity, that's a different topic for a different day for sure. <laughs> um, right. We already have a podcast on that. I think we'll have to do one every few months. But that's something um, that I know boards need to keep their eye on as well. Um, but maybe real quick, you know, we spoke about what are the main responsibilities of the board. And one thing is the CEO oversight and succession planning. Um, so just maybe a little bit of your perspective on you know, what experiences you have had with that, because that that role is so critical to an organization. Yeah, it's very it's very critical, you know, whether it's the most important role or one of the most important roles of the board. It clearly it's a it's up there in terms of priority and having the right CEO to uh, to lead the company uh, is critical to a long term success. You know, as a board, we're sort of hands off, nose in, meaning, you know, you want to be a close to the organization, close to the CEO to find out how they're leading, how they're performing, and honestly, what their capability is into the future. Do they have bandwidth? Do they have the energy level? Do they have the intellect? Do they have leadership skills that are needed to take the organization consistent with the overall goals? And that can be a tough scenario where you have uh, someone that doesn't meet that criteria. If you have a star and they're doing well, the company's doing well, it's a pretty easy scenario. But many times the CEO 
uh, is not living up to the expectations. You need to make a change. Um, change is made for succession planning. The CEO has a plan exit or retirement, but oftentimes it's more abrupt. So being prepared to handle that uh, is important. I think that organizations uh, beyond the CEO board should really know key executives of an organization, whether it's five deep, 10 deep, or 20 deep, depending on the size of the company, but understanding that the capabilities of, uh, of that group uh, is important because if you can have an internal a candidate that is truly ready, it's a more seamless uh, change. But if not, um, you know, you need to go outside. And so having both the ability to assess internal candidates with external candidates gives you a perspective for replacement. But it's a touchy situation. When a CEO needs to be excused, um, obviously you need to have legal involved and the ramifications of that understood. But once they're understood, they need to be a quick decision and move on and then have a plan ready for interim CEO and, and long-term CEO um, altogether. In a way, it's an opportunity to have to rethink and remake the company because bringing in somebody, whether from within or outside, you know, new thinking, new level of energy, you know, every leader is slightly different. So mm-hmm. picking the right CEO that's perfect or consistent with the company at that point of its history and then the near-term and long-term future uh, is an opportunity. So I think it's important to keep an eye on that. And uh, not that topic, you know, the, the private sessions uh, board members uh, is important. Because um, I think that allows you to talk about many aspects of the organization in private uh, including the CEO, and you get a flow, you get you get interesting commentary about um, strengths and, and weaknesses of CEO. So I encourage um, individuals who are uh, have an influence on the board makeup to uh, have board private executive sessions of board members, of independent board members, uh, when indeed you have independent board members as part of the team. So I've got two follow-ups on that, Lou. Um, because I think when we were preparing for this, you you well you identified a lot of best practices, but two that I want to make sure that our listeners hear: um, best practice for private sessions and best practice for CEO succession planning. And let's go with a company that's not a brand new startup, right? Maybe somewhat established but high growth. Okay, so let's talk about the CEO. It, 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 I think having a good relationship with the CEO is important to really understand his or her long-term objectives. You know, some want to stay the organization for a long period of time where they want to achieve certain milestones. So having that discussion openly is important so you know whether there's a shorter runway or a longer runway. Uh, and, and then the other is I mentioned earlier about learning or about the capabilities of uh, the next layer of management or two, the top executives. You know, in one case, uh, at a CEO that announced uh, his retirement uh, three years prior to the date and built up a plan. And so we were able to meet with, as a board, be able to meet with uh, five or six executives, not really letting them know it was for succession planning, but much more board involved with operational understanding. So we can understand their thoughts, measure their progress as a division head or vice president in some area. So when we got to that point, that it was within 12 months of the departure date of the CEO, we had uh, our list down to two and uh, able to select the CEO, and, and honestly, we picked the right one, and we're confident day one that, that was the right one, and indeed, it was the right decision. So I think that is one area. 
the other is when you have to make the abrupt change is you have to put uh, intensity um, pencils down for these to get on that project immediately. And so having about time availability uh, and interaction of board members to select the replacement CEO is a, is critical critical. So I've seen both of those scenarios. Um, the, uh, the former is a lot easier as best practice. Yeah. You know, the, the latter is, is happens a lot, but you have to be prepared for it. So therefore succession planning needs to be thought about it. And honestly, you know, the kind of question you have is if the CEO were to become ill or have an accident, not be available to the organization speak, right. what do you do? So I think that conversation needs to be had uh, it's, uh, the conversation needs to occur so that there is a game plan ready to go should that occur. Absolutely. And private sessions for boards, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mentioned briefly earlier, I, I think it's really, really positive. I, I appreciate the uh, the executive session, private session at the end of the board meeting. Um, and honestly, even with committee meetings, so you can have a, a comp committee or audit committee or a non-gov or other committees I think uh, private sessions are important just to debrief on the conversation. Um, but what happens is with board members, when you're involved with the discussion point, ideas flow, uh, concerns um, arise. And so being able to debrief and uh, get that on the table in, in private is important. And it does need to be private. I think that one of the errors organizations would have is you have a private session and then somebody runs and talks to the CEO of what was discussed. And that's you know, not fatal. But it's not best practice. So you want board members to feel free with the conversation that they have so you get frank uh, feedback. I kind of like before the meetings to have, let's just say, a semi-private session with the CEO alone because in board meetings, the uh, uh, members of management are there or other invitees. So just having a, a discussion with the CEO and the board members to walk through the agenda, uh, ensure that. Uh, the topics that are key to the board members are, are included, the discussion points. And if there are you know, key issues, oftentimes uh, the CEO will reach out to board members individually before the board meeting just to ensure that the agenda is right. So there's a spectrum there of how you can operate that. I think the, the, the foundation here, the denominator is having independent board members and having private sessions of independent board members. I think it's critical to the functioning of the board. And that's regardless of whether or not you can you plan to stay private or not. You you think that's a plus for a company to have independent board members, um, even as a privately held company. Is that right? I think so. And, you know, when you have when you have a private company with one large owner or a larger stake, you know that. You know, I've heard those people say, you know, I'm, I'm the board, I'm the CEO. Now that's, that's a different thing we're talking about today. We're talking here today about a scenario where you bring in various sources of capital. I think that um, you want your board function, just like you want your sales team functioning, you want your production team functioning, you want finance team functioning, you want your board functioning. And one of the aspects of a standing board uh, operations is uh, independent board members that are able to talk freely among themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I'd like to spend the last bit that we have here is, is going back to those ed- exit strategies and just your view on, you know, what works for different companies, you know, depending on the industry, stage of growth, et cetera, and just, you know, what you've seen work. Yeah, I, I think you, you got to, for companies, you know, I, like I said, along the way, you want to keep an eye on valuations, but I, I think you want to 
also assess capability of an organization uh, in terms of, you know, what does the leadership leadership team look like? Um, do you have bench strength? Do you have capabilities? Indeed, you could go uh, to, as a public company. Uh, I think that's one aspect you should keep in mind. The other is uh, is how broad is is your product? Is it a, is it a single or narrow product that um, you know is best suited to be combined with another company, i.e., through a sale versus independent? There are many companies, as you know, in Silicon Valley, both bi- biotech and technology uh, companies, social media companies uh, that indeed uh, have sold to large organizations and have had handsome value. Um, and so I think that that needs to be assessed. And so the question is, you know, what's what's best for us in the medium term and in the long in the long term? I think everyone, perhaps for most companies, have this desire to say, I'm going to go public and we're going to make a handsome valuation. But you have to really look inward and say, what are our capabilities from a leadership team, from a market point of view, adjustable market? Uh, and then the other is the capital. What does the capital look like? You know, what's the balance sheet and sort of the cap table? Do we have enough funds to go at it alone for a while, or do we bring capital in and then we delete certain of the current shareholders? So that decision about your capital and, and the financing, ability cash flow and, and the like needs to be assessed along, along the way. I think that in today's world, for good organizations, there's a lot of capital out there to be um, accessed, but there is a cost in terms of the position that a new investor takes relative to the current shareholders. I think it's important to keep an eye on what other companies in the space of your organization have done or are doing. Uh, are they growing independently? Are they joint venturing? Are they revising their products? So keeping track of how you operate relative to others. You know, there are organizations that are listening here that are stars and they, they can do it on their own because they have a product that indeed will grow and they need more capital to make, make that occur. And, and so I think that that's okay, but a lot of organizations are not. So making that, um, making that assessment uh, on the way. I think uh, thinking about um, what the investors want uh, is important. So, you know, the CEO usually has that interaction with the investor group. So understanding what they're, they have in mind and communicating that with the board. So all that information is understood so that, Indeed, uh, you, you know the expectations of, of the capital that's, that, that, that is at the table, um, if you if you will. You know, a lot of large groups, uh, investment groups, you know, the Black Rocks and folks like that, you know, they have long-term investment objectives. So if you've got, you know, their investment in your organization, you know, that's one, one, one way to look at what their views would be. On the other hand, you have uh, investment groups that are, you know, hedge fund type groups or, we call it value versus growth. Uh, so understanding what the objectives of your investors is helpful as you make your decision um, uh, as to what, what to do. But it's great that in this organization there are options, um, including there are some organizations that are private that uh, really have their sh- employees become shareholders through the ESOP methodology that is right. out there. And so we've seen a lot of those uh, reward their employees uh, with, uh, with that participation. They're not overly large, i.e. they're billion dollar companies, but um, uh, that's another another option. And Lou, maybe this is a this could be our, our last and final question. Um, you know, I think that 
we've all lived through the last 18 months and a lot has changed, right? A lot has changed in, in the macroeconomic environment with companies, et cetera. Um, any views on whether or not that's had any impact on companies, um, you know, potential exit strategies? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's had impact on a lot of organizations. You know, some, yeah. some positions, really <laughs> they knew it or not, to to thrive in this environment. Honestly, those that had advanced digital capabilities uh, are doing extremely well, and you see you know, what's happened to the Dow and the Nasdaq. Is in many organizations again have done extremely well. I, I think that uh, organizations that that have let's say it's a stale technology platform or don't have the capabilities to really compete at a high level on this new environment. Uh, you know, maybe we're rethinking, should we um, and go public, stay private, or even if you're a small public company, should we have some uh, other exit strategy, i.e., you know, look for a strategic buyer or someone to buy our organization. So I think that that, um, that has happened today. And so, but the same, the same questions are raised. You know, what is our organization? What is our opportunity? What is our bench strength? Um, and one thing you need to consider here is the workforce. These uh, innovative companies have tremendous talent and they have an expectation of participation and growth in the organization, including you know, stock appreciation. And so if an organization is not able to deliver that kind of growth and opportunity for uh, greater wealth to the employee base, you're at risk. And, and how does one know whether you're at market or not? And you can have studies, but what I've learned is that organizations are seeing key employees leave for opportunities for further growth and opportunity, mm-hmm. financial opportunity. And when you're recruiting people, you're getting an idea of what the market expects of you as an organization. So that should be a factor that's um, included in an assessment of, uh, of, what, of what to do and when to do it. Thank you, Lou, for spending time with us today and, and giving us your thoughts. I think your perspectives are, are really helpful to our audience. You're welcome. And to the audience, I'll just say there's tremendous opportunity out there. All the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of Privately Speaking with KPMG. And be sure to subscribe to the series to be notified of new episodes.